Hello and welcome to episode 360 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carasino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. I'm going I'm going different on this one. It is not episode 60. We are going 360. I I didn't even think about that. I, there we I go. W- waiting for the uh, episode 425. Back, back since we had the 253 episode, the South Sound episode, I've been thinking about the 425. I never even stopped to consider the 360. There we go. The 360, home of many of the best taco times throughout the Northwest. Is it? Oh, it extends. That motherfucker's everywhere. Oh, wow. I didn't right? realize that it was like all of the non-Puget Sound. I yeah. think of northern... Northwestern Washington, basically, like going up north along I five. So to me, it makes me think of like Mark Hendrickson. The three six zero is way north, and it is way south, and it's way east or way west, I guess. Yeah, the entire Olympic Peninsula. But that's the three six zero is everywhere, and that's where this Pelton Cast episode is going to be. So is like Richie Fromm from the and Dan Dickow from the three six zero. I don't know if I don't know if the uh, Gonzaga players get a good shout out here. <laughs> Oh, no, just stood fist. How dare you speak uh, their names? Oh, wow, that far. Richie Fromm That's is for also, episode 509. Richie Fromm is also a Sonics legend. Episode 509. Don't, don't you forget that about no, Richie Fromm. Known as the Hydroplane episode. <laughs> oh, man. That's going to be a good one when, if we ever get there. Well, Shouts to everybody who is listening to this in the 360 right now. Yeah. It's an area code. We know very little about it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Wildly> little. <laughs> Well, we got a lot of toast to get to this week. Can I can I give you a weird nugget? Do you think Sumner is in the three six zero? I mean, since you're asking, yes. No, no, this is not oh, at you're all. Just uh, like... uh, this is a question for you. Uh, so, had a band put out a song last I week? I think Sumner's got to be in the two five three, doesn't it? Can I can I show you this crazy thing? Okay, so this band put out a song last week, uh-huh. and like, there's like forty thousand plays in the song, right? Uh huh. Uh, and in the most listened to location? Uh, wait, I have to look at by location. Okay, streams. Top cities. Oh, no, no. I have to look at the specific song. Sorry. Oh, this boy, good, this good is content. Good really content. building the excitement for it. Top cities for this song. Last 28 days. I'm going to count them down from number 10. <laughs> okay. Number 10 is Seattle. Number 9 is Brooklyn. Number 8 is Atlanta. Number 7 is Dallas. Number 6 is Philadelphia. Number 5 is New York. Number 4 is Los Angeles. Number 3 is London. Number 2 is Chicago. And number 1 by over 250 plays is Sumner, probably Washington. There's no, there's, it literally just says Sumner. It there's, doesn't, there's it's Sumner not, in the United States. There's not any other Sumners. I don't there is think. somebody in Sumner who is so obsessed with this song that it's like, wow. I mean, we're talking about like person. New York and LA combined do not equal the plays in Sumner. This band is the hugest band, and it's not like Enumclaw, right? It's not like it's a local band, right? This is a band from Baltimore that there's somebody in Sumner. So if Sumner, if you are in the 360, shouts to you today. Wow, did you know that Sumner was named after an abolitionist politician? Wow, okay. Because of that. Uh, it is definitely very much in the 253. Oh, so okay. not part of this well. episode. <laughs> <laughs> I said to the 360, detour. we know very little about you. <laughs> to the very mysterious 360. 
Oh, hashtag fountain gas geography. Hitting early. The bingo square is getting hit early in this episode. Well, we're going to have that bingo. That was crazy, though, right? Hearing those cities. It's like yes. all of the most major cities in the world. And then somebody in Sumner is going ham. <laughs> well, we're about to go ham on this beer here. I don't, I don't know that we actually are, but that it's seemed like a natural pig. transition. Uh, from our friends at Russian River Brewing and from our from the uh, fav- the famous cousin Katie who visited the oh, Russian River. Oh, did she River brew this? Brewing. Oh, no, okay. And brought this back for us. We have here the uh, the Rotu Hill Fifty Six Simcoe Hopped Pale Ale. Uh, this is a single hop pale ale featuring Simcoe hops. Rotu Two Hill Fifty Six. I feel like I should abbreviate this because I'm going to say it a couple of times. Was first inspired by a hop selection trip to Yakima, Washington. There we go. The fresh hop region of Washington. The Palm Springs of the of the Washington. Is that what they call it? Yeah, <laughs> what else would it be? The Palm Springs? <laughs> Probably not California. <laughs> no, definitely not. That Vinny, whoever that is, made years ago. During that trip, Vinny heard multiple mentions of Row 2 Hill 56, which was the exact location in the experimental hop yard in Yakima where the first ever Simcoe hop was planted. But this was, of course, long before the name, of course, long before the hop had ever been named, had been named Simcoe. This seemed to be a sign that he needed to make a beer to honor the Simcoe hop. The beer was also an homage to the three farms, Loftus Ranches, Carpenter Ranches, and Peralt Farms, that owned the rootstock and were the first to grow Simcoe. All right. There you go. I'm also drinking on the side here because you're not man enough to drink it. Uh, the Supplication Ale aged in Pinot Noir bottles with cherries, which is supposedly very, very sour. Well, that sounds horrible. It's pretty sour. <laughs> I bet it is. All right, as I said, we got a number of toasts to get to this week, but let's start with talking about Pelton Cast Live, which is coming up this Friday, April 21st, at Belltown Yacht Club. Are we committing to making more tickets available? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to put five more tickets out there? Six more tickets. Six more tickets out there for purchase. We've had a few people who purchased tickets who are going to be unable to make it, so... We'll put a few more out there, and you know, if you've been on the fence, this is your chance to come to Pelton Cast Live. And for those of you who already have tickets, you can't say you know what to expect. You know what to expect okay. from Pelton Cast Live. Well. <clears throat> I just I get I get so excited because of how jam packed this edition of Pelton Cast Live is. April twenty first at Belltown Yacht Club, in the heart of. Belltown Screwdriver Bar right in the back, Belltown Yacht Club. When you go into Screwdriver, go straight to the back. There's a door right there. That is Belltown Yacht Club. It is going to be an incredible experience. Uh, if you were there a couple of years ago, the, the bar at the very least oh, is going to okay, be an incredible yeah. experience. Pelton Cast Live, look, hit or miss. The food is going to be an incredible experience. But you know what to expect from Pelton Cast Live. Number one, come hungry. Come hungrier than ever before. We have so much food coming. <laughs> it's really, we keep making new food friends throughout <laughs> the years. And uh, I guess we could say what's going to be there. We're going to have from our sponsor, Pagliacci Pizza. Uh, how many pizzas are there going to be? Uh, eight larges. Eight large pizzas from our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. Uh, I won't mention the other one. There's a little surprise that okay. we're going to have. You, you wouldn't believe what it is. <laughs> Might tie in with a segment. Uh, also, because we're doing a search for Seattle's best donut from our friends at Dojoy, we don't guarantee where they'll finish in the search for Seattle's best donuts. Top three. But they will be they will be participating in the finals, and they've been kind enough to donate a good chunk of donuts to this search. I'm sure there will be a bunch of people there who have not had Dojoy before. The thing that's exciting about it for me is if you're if you're vegan, if you have a nut allergy. 
you can have Dojoy. We'll also have vegan options for the pizza. Pelton Cast Live and is, is an exp- vegan option. Vegan option. <laughs> yeah, we're all about not adding S's to things <laughs> or adding them. Pelton Cast Live is an inclusive space, though. Very much so. We have also vetted all the rainier tall boys you can drink. Oh my there, God. There's. I, I have been promised that we cannot run out of Rainier Tallboys at this event. We'll see. We've been told that I, before. I said challenge accepted. I didn't say bring me a lot of Rainier Tallboys. I said bring me all the Rainier Tallboys. But beyond that, we're going to have... This is just announced, right? Just announced. Talking Taco Time with all four co-hosts. That is, that is not just announced. That's been out there. For the first time in history, it's going down. Plus, special guest, you know him as the inventor of the Chris Chicken Burrito. Coming on to talk about that again is our good friend, Jake Wan. It's the Rejake. The Rejake on Talkin' Taco Time. It's Jake with Rainy and Chris as well. Right, because Chris commented on that. We Just you and I went to uh, Jake's house to interview him back on episode one of Talkin' Taco Time. Chris commented on it after the fact, but was not there with him. And obviously, Randy was not part of the podcast at that point. So it's an entirely different experience. We're going to have for you a Ringer NFL Draft Preview with NFL draft a Seahawks guru, NFL or a draft. Seahawks NFL draft preview with Ringer draft guru Danny Kelly and Seahawks fan. Honestly, this is what I'm most excited for. I've been listening to his podcast talking about the draft. I'm the most hyped on the Seahawks draft that I've ever been for any Seahawks draft. I just I'm bring me Anthony Richardson, right? And there's gonna be we could just put that on the on the bingo card right now. Anthony Richardson, that's a good one. Uh, but just announced right now, joining him. On that segment will be our one of our favorite guests of all time in any capacity. Peltoncast live on the podcast, hanging out with his own podcast, Mike Sean Dugar from The Athletic. Yeah, his own live shows going attending those. Uh, I don't know if that counts as is a uh, uh, guest, but uh, yeah, we're very excited to have him alongside Danny and have so much expertise on the Seahawks, so much expertise on the draft. You know, it's great to like be by far the most ignorant two people on the stage. Oh, absolutely! In That's every scenario, <laughs> except about donuts, we're pretty knowledgeable about donuts right now. I, I mean, I don't know. We're pretty knowledgeable about donuts, but uh, as we have previously announced, Alicia Vermillion of Seattle Met Magazine, who has put together a rankings or uh, a list of Seattle's best donuts, that was part of what helped inform our search, uh, will be helping us judge. That search where we know we'll have Dojoy, Ninth and Hennepin, and we will learn shortly the third donut to join them in the final. And as always, there'll be surprises, bingo, the unexpected at Pelton Cast Live. We might even talk about Jared Kalanick. Who who could imagine such a thing? Uh, From a logistical standpoint, doors are going to be at 7. We plan to start the show around 7.30, so... Make sure you're there in time to get yourself some pizza, get yourself a Rainier Tall Boy or whatever else you're interested in drinking, and get ready to enjoy the show. I can't wait. Yeah, me neither. <clears throat> All right, so now to our toast we start with. And what I was really stressing out about last week, I was banking on the Nashville Predators, or not on, I'm sorry, on the Colorado Avalanche against the Nashville Predators because they needed to win on the last day of the regular season after the Kraken had already finished their schedule to make sure that the Kraken were going to be playing their first home playoff game on Saturday night. Oh, my God. And not Friday night. Yeah, that would have been bad. That would have been otherwise. <laughs> so that worked out very well. And it also means that earlier this very evening, the Seattle Kraken played the first 
playoff game. Wow. In franchise history at Colorado. And it was also the first win in franchise history. Still unbeaten, never lost. The Seattle Kraken, a 3-1 win at Colorado over the Central Division champions earlier tonight. Now, is this a best of five series or seven? Best of seven. Okay. So they can't wrap up the series Saturday night. They after can't. That would not be live. a possibility. Okay. But they could go up 3-0. Hypothetically so. Uh, hockey playoffs, famously difficult to predict. So, <laughs> hey, you know, you take a one nothing lead, you got a chance here. Even is the, uh, the wild card going up against the division champion. All right, next up. To Kelly Lynch and Ruby Malin, who combined for a UW softball no-hitter on Friday at Oregon State. Lynch started and pitched five innings before Malin pitched the last two for the save. Lynch previously had a solo no-hitter over five innings against Bethune-Cookman earlier this season in a run-rule game. But uh, this one, probably a little bit more impressive a feat to do it against a Pac-12 conference, though. All right, sticking on the softball theme, two UW's Bailey Klingler, who was drafted number two overall by the Texas Smoke in the women's go. pro fast pitch draft. Uh, earlier this week, that four-team league began play last season, year number two, coming up this summer. That's cool. Very much so. I I mean, just thinking about it, right, there's so much attention that's paid. I understand having the college aspect of it and history that you have with colleges, right? But it's not like there's a lack of interest in the sport. Right. Right? I mean, I was there a couple weekends ago, right? There are thousands of people at those games in Seattle on one of the worst nights of the year. Yes. So if there's that kind of interest, I do think that there is interest as long as things start small and grow from there in a professional uh, women's soft pitch league. Yeah, I definitely hope that they can make this work where some of their predecessor leagues have been unable to. And I've been telling my children about the Colorado Silver Bullets for like the last 10 years. So oh, so many Angie Arlotti references. <laughs> they think I'm making it up. <laughs> The Lecro coached the team, right? He was the manager. <laughs> he was the coach. I'm pretty sure he was the manager. I'm like, yeah, you just Maybe turn on FX, and there was a team called the Colorado Silver Bullets who would play. Played against random minor I'm like, teams. it was the 90s. You would just watch the Braves on TBS and the Silver oh, Bullets man. on FX. Slam ball walk the earth. Like, <laughs> well, slam ball's coming back. Did you see that? Really? Oh, yeah. It's coming back. I'm like, children, I can't tell you how great it was in the 90s. <laughs> you had no internet, no cell phone. It was great. Uh, lastly this week, 2-0 ring keeper Fallon Tullis-Joyce, whose 11th clean sheet on Saturday night tied three others for the most in franchise history, uh, with plenty more surely still to come. So there you go. All right, with that, I think it's time to bring on our guest and get into the the last uh, the or the next stage of our search for Seattle's best donut. Well, the cake donut lobby can rejoice. <laughs> Because to help us judge the latest round of the Royal Rumble that is our search for Seattle's best donut, we welcome back to the pod is third Belton brother, Zach Jabal, to help tell us about the wonder that is the cake donut. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I got to say, by the way, Royal Rumble, there was a WW, well, it's probably F at the time, video game that had a Royal Rumble feature. Oh, yeah. And I don't even know how many hours I lost down that. It just an optimal you know it's like preceded the uh more modern trend of these like 100 100 person multiplayer deathmatch games but it was basically just you and a bunch of dudes in uh, speedos trying to throw each other out of a ring a lot of fun was that god was steve austin on the cover 
I'm it was sure pre, probably... it was I think it was pre Steve Austin. This is like mid nineties. Like uh I remember playing as Yokozuna a lot. That's about okay. all I got for you. Yeah. It was but, wow, but that is times. way back. I think no, no, no. I might be thinking of the game WWF Warzone. Ooh. That, that we had we definitely had one wrestling game ever. <laughs> In yep. like ninety eight wrestling was so hype, right? No, and... this is late gotta be later than that. It's gotta be ninety nine or two thousand, right? You think it was after that? I remember the Royal Rumble mode though playing. Oh yeah, it was WWF SmackDown 2000. Oh, oh SmackDown. Okay. Yeah. Good times. I never cared on... for the sport in the like on TV, but the video games were excellent. Oh, the Rock was on the cover. I remember that. And yes. Okay. Wow. Okay. Let's remember some. <laughs> let's remember some wrestling video games. Yeah. So this week a Royal Rumble. <laughs> it's a different level. Like, we're getting serious. We're getting close to the end here, obviously. Our search will conclude this Friday at Belltown Yacht Club. But this week, entering the, the ring, we have Top Pot, the the presumed fan choice for Seattle's best donut, along with Good Day Donuts in White Center. Uh, Zach, first up, tell us about your donut credentials, and then I guess your experience with each of these two locations. Well, it's funny. So my donut credentials. So last time you had me on to judge something, it was fried chicken. And I could confidently assert that I had professionally cooked fried chicken for at least several days. Uh, And the same is true of donuts. Uh, I had a few stints working in uh, the Dahlia Lounge kitchen making donuts, uh, the beignets. So, you know, maybe not quite the purview of this search. Still top notch, those beignets. Uh, I will say making donuts in a genuine deep fryer is a delight. Uh, so much easier than doing it any other way at home uh, or in a professional setting, I would imagine. And um, yeah, so th- that and then I just eat a lot of donuts. I uh, <laughs> did my own personal search for uh, the island of Hawaii's best donuts when I was there in February. Uh, gotta say a little inconclusive, um, <laughs> although some excellent mochi donuts. And I am, of course, completely blanking on the name of the place on the way to Volcanoes National Park. Uh, highly recommend stopping in there. I will eventually remember what the name is, but yeah, okay. that was, that was it's fun. It's famously so. a big island. It, it, well, you, you know, they call it that, but not that big. <laughs> I've seen bigger. It's only relative. <laughs> it, bigger, big in Hawaiian terms. Uh, so yeah, those are those are, I guess, my credentials. I also, and I found this out. I didn't even think about it until uh, I went there and then thought about it more because you mentioned it on the first episode where Good Day appeared. I actually worked with Eric Jackson for a while. So nice. Yeah, at, at said Dahlia Lounge, and uh, he worked at a few other Tom Douglas restaurants for a while. Okay, so, yeah, I have, so you'll I have be some... recusing yourself from the search. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> well, this has been fun. Thanks for yeah. having me. Later, guys. See you on Friday. Peltoncast <laughs> believes in nepotism not at all. Yeah. The <laughs> highest standard of ethics here. Yeah. Judge Cl- Clarence Thomas has overseen this whole <laughs> proceedings. He's It's assured us it's on the up and up. Oh, dear. Uh, had so had you been to Good Day Donuts before? I'm going to safely assume that you have been to Top Pot many times. (laughs) Yes. Uh, no, I had not been to Good Day before, and it's funny. You know, one thing that's been fun for me, as I occasionally kind of drop into these searches or have just checked out some places, is you know there there are parts of Seattle and the greater Seattle area that, from because I grew up in the North End, didn't ever cross my radar. So. Good day. Obviously, when I was a kid, it was a different donut shop, so I wouldn't have been there anyhow. But no, I never been, and actually went down on Saturday morning um, because I was intrigued by the crawlers, uh, which are I think just a Saturday thing. 
And yeah, so I kind of was like, well, you know, we'll drive down to White Center, pick up some donuts. And I was surprised pleasantly. You know, I got there probably 15 minutes after they opened it, like 8.15. It's a good crowd already. So always a good sign to see a donut shop busy on a Saturday morning. Yeah, we did Friday instead mm -hmm. of Saturday. We did the Friday fritters instead of the Saturday crawlers. But uh, definitely, like, I feel like those are their two signature standouts. So I'm yeah. glad that we've got both of those covered. W what did you think? So I will say I <laughs> probably went overboard. I got a dozen donuts, uh, a little bit of overlap. I mean, I did have to bring them home for my wife and children. Uh, and so, you know, I tried a pretty wide range of donuts, uh, both of or two of the kinds of crawlers I had. So a glazed and a chocolate at a chocolate glazed um, like a cake donut, because uh, as mentioned, a member of the cake donut lobby here. And then a sea salt uh, chocolate like raised donut, Van cream, some raspberry jelly filled, a glazed old fashioned and a maple bar. And I will say this, I think the the range of donuts, you know, you appreciate a good selection, obviously, especially when we're talking about compared to top pot. Um, you know, you kind of have to to step into that ring, such as it is. You need to kind of bring some different uh, moves or some different donuts. And so I appreciate a good selection. You know, some interesting flavors, I would say, wasn't there on a Friday. So I didn't get some of the kind of more intriguing fritter options or the cereal milk donuts. But, but you know, the, the just the sea salt chocolate, a little tweak on a kind of classic formulation, I thought was quite tasty. The coolers are really good. I think... I'm not personally like it's not my favorite style of donut. You know, it's kind of on the yeah. far end of the spectrum, very light, very kind of fluffy, but, but tasting nonetheless. And I thought really well executed. I thought the maple bar was actually for me to stand out there um, in terms of, I, I think it did the best for my personal tastes of hitting that sweet spot of enough sort of toothsomeness to the donut that it doesn't feel completely insubstantial without being too dense, too chewy, too tough. I thought a couple of the other donuts were almost a little too light and airy for my personal tastes. Again, cake donut lobby here. I like a little more substantial donut. I thought some of the others just kind of the flavor was good. If perhaps also a touch sweet in general, like the dough itself was maybe a touch sweeter than I wanted. Oh, and when you're combining that with, you know, chocolate or glaze or things like that, it can kind of get a little over the top, but I thought really well executed just for me, one of those things as we kind of, come back into this conversation about it versus top pot it's like as someone who lives relatively far from white center would i say that the extra 20 minutes of driving each way were worth it i'm i'm still thinking about that well you're gonna you have to decide Tim. okay good can, can i ask you a question have you been to any of flower box dojoy or ninth and hennepin I have not. Um, okay. My my wife was like, "Oh, donuts! You're going to Flower Box," and I was like, "No." Sorry. <laughs> I did. You though. didn't wait in line for an hour. I did not. <laughs> I was like, "I can do it, hon. If you were happy to have the kids all morning, but um, you were like, actually, you mean donut? Yeah, the single donut. <laughs> <laughs> it's Seattle's best. I'm told. But I will say that the one place I did go because uh, I I had found out I had again a weird quasi connection to it. My son's one of my son's teachers' husbands runs half and half donuts, and so I was like, "Well, I should go check it out." And I will provide a very brief Not thought on that though. since I did happen to stop in recently. I think it's a really interesting place to go because I thought of of all the of maybe of all the donuts I've had recently, the flavors that they executed were were probably the best I've had. I had a pomegranate old fashioned that I thought was really really good. In terms of the way the pomegranate tasted and the way it worked with the donuts, my only issue with the donuts was that they themselves were kind of the opposite almost of, of Good Day. They were really 
almost a little too chewy, a little too tough. And I was, and I found myself like, man, these flavors are dynamite. I had um, a maracchino, which is like a coffee caramel cream filled donut. And like, again, the coffee caramel cream was just fantastic. But the donut itself would kind of left me wanting just a little bit more lightness, a little bit less sort of chewiness. And so, yeah, so that was my my other kind of thing that had been on your search. And I, and I thought there was some things to really commend it there. And if the flavor options, which I thought were interesting and novel without being gimmicky, are really kind of cool. But I, I feel like the donuts themselves maybe were a little underwhelming. Okay. I think that's, I feel like that's kind of at least my same vibe on half and half. Also, I think I'm way higher in half and half than Kevin was. Kevin, Kevin was, I to me personally, if we'd gotten there, if they hadn't been closed, I think there's a chance that they would be in the finals right now. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, like the, the old fashioned we had, it was like a cinnamon sugar old fashioned. Mm -hmm. It was really good. Maybe a little dense. Yeah. Um, but we're not talking about half and half, right? They, <laughs> th there's just so many donuts already in the finals that we don't yeah. need to bring anybody else into the mix. And I'd wanted to go back to Good Day because I think we had kind of like, I want to say I wanted to give it an incomplete the first time that I had Good Day, but I could tell that there was something there, and especially wanted to go back on a Friday for the fritters. So Kevin went there. Uh, God, it was a fruit punch fritter. Is that right? Yep. Fruit cocktail, maybe fruit cocktail. I th it was a fruit cocktail. Yeah. I have to say it was. I'm personally not like a fritter person necessarily. And it was probably the best fritter that I've ever had, at least up there with the best fritter. I think the search has made me into a fritter person. I wasn't previously, but I also, I had, they had a seasonal cherry fritter at Top Pot that I got as a recreational donut at one point along this search. And I thought that was quite fantastic really as well. really fucking good. They had yeah. that at Top Pot? Yeah, that was a few weeks back. So they did not have that when I went today, at least. Okay. So there was that, there was a vegan sea salt donut. Is that right? Sea salt, sea salt maple. Donut. Sea yeah. salt maple that you had. And to me, sea salt anything is pretty incredible. I, that was actually, I think, the standout of the entire trip of going to Good Day. And then did you get a maple bar? Was that the last one you got? Yep, a chocolate bar. Or a chocolate bar. It, it just, it's interesting when viewing these as Good Day vis-a-vis Top Pot. And the reality is, if we want to in this Royal Rumble, we could put both in the finals. Or we could put neither in the finals, right? Everything is available to us, but I do think... The, the bracket is just a construct at this point. <laughs> I, I think that the best thing to do would be to choose one of these two and advance it on to the final at Pelton Cast Live at Belltown Yacht Club this Friday, April 21st. And I, I think the thing that stood out to me about Good Day was some of the flavors were absolutely incredible. I think the fritters are amazing. They're only on Fridays, so that's... It, it, it's, it it's a little bit on the flower box territory of like, you can't just be like, go to good day anytime. I think you can recommend go on Friday, go on Saturday for the coolers, whatever, which I don't think is an unfair way to describe it. But seeing the donuts that you sent in your picture, Zach, there's an artisanship to the donuts at good day that I think is missing that I think top pot is I've never had a subpar crafted donut mm. from Top Pot. And this is not not necessarily saying exactly what my vote is, but I think there are some times, like I saw the Bavarian cream in the photo that you had, and the chocolate is not covering the entire top of the donut. And that was my experience the first time. It looks a little bit half-assed yeah. in a way that like, if you're executing at a place where you're trying to be, like you would never go to Dojoy and be like, well, that donut kind of looks like shit. 
every <laughs> single donut at Dojoy is perfect, right? Like there, there's not one. You don't have to request a specific like, okay, can I have that, like whatever, you know, peach donut or something. All of them look the same. It is uniform and it is beautiful, and there's an artisanship to it. And I think Good Day just a little bit. I don't want to have an inconsistent donut. Be mm-hmm. in the mix for Seattle's best donut. What were your thoughts on Good Day, though, Kevin? I mean, it's interesting. I I think coming in, I was a little skeptical of putting Good Day in this section of the bracket, whether it quite earned. I mean, this is now our final five donuts that we're looking at, or final <laughs> final four donuts, even. Sometimes it could be two, three, four. <laughs> I've lost. I've lost half count. and half. May have re-entered the ring. <laughs> But then when we went back this last time, it sold me a little bit. And what's interesting is I feel like my experience, my position was kind of opposite sacks. I I thought that the chocolate bar that we had was by far the weakest of the three. Mm. The yeah. flitter I thought was really good. And then I thought that the, the vegan uh, sea salt maple was a tremendous standout. And in combination with Dojoy, it makes me wonder... Maybe we should just be doing all vegan donuts from now on. Do we actually need the, you know, the butter and the uh, the eggs in there? Are they actually yes. bringing that much to the table? <laughs> I mean, Nathan Hennepin would argue yes, they are. That's it's like fair. literally just butter and eggs. <laughs> yeah, I do not want a vegan cream donut. I'm sorry to say. Well, that, but but Dojoy, Dojoy is doing it, man. Haven't haven't tried it yet. Maybe on Friday. Okay. So. I that that kind of opened my eyes a little bit. That was the first time I'd had one of their their vegan donuts. I don't even remember if they had them the still available the previous time I'd gone there. I I do agree with Tristan that I think there is a little bit of an element of inconsistency and inconsistency and that can be good and bad. Like when I went in there, the clerk was like, "Can we get one of the bigger fritters? Do you want one of the big fritters?" And I'm like, "Who's going to say no to that? Of course I want one of the big fritters." Why are there big fritters and small fritters though? Like it's because they're handcrafted. Like every it's... donut is handcrafted. It's not like Top Pot has fucking robots making their donuts. I mean, or Top Pot literally, literally advertises hand forged donuts. That's that's. I'm sorry, but like the, all of these donuts that we're talking about are handcrafted. But there's donuts. a there's a scale difference. I I think you have to acknowledge that. Between what? Between between having one donut shop and having you know fifteen or however many it is that Top Pot has. Yeah, but how many does Ninth and Hennepin have? And how many do Dojoy have? I don't know if Ninth and Hennepin is necessarily like everyone is all the same. I, I do think that like the baseline... You've never gotten a Ninth and Hennepin and be like, well, that's the crappy Ninth and Hennepin donut. Well, I did when I got a cake donut from there. But but that's <laughs> not... It's the style of not donut. Say, not, face. <laughs> not the donut to donut. There has to be... No, if we were talking about... We were talking at the highest possible scale you could be at. Seattle is the donut capital of the world. And to be Seattle's best donuts, like we're talking about, you have to be at a very, very high level. Like we can't be like, oh, go there. What? I'm trying to cast the vote before we cast the vote. Okay. But let's start with you, Kevin, because I I feel like you're going in a direction. But let's start with you, Kevin. Top Pot versus Good Day Donuts. I think either of these can it Pelton cast. <laughs> I think either of these they they both were deserving of being in the top four. But yeah, I gotta say, I as good as the and so I I went to Top Pot today. I had the uh, the you know the cream filled the Boston cream because uh, you mentioned how good the one that you had had at Top Pot today was. And then I also Bavarian had, cream. 
they're very Thank cream. You. And then I also had their matcha donut was their current special. And one thing I I will it's say not written. <laughs> it was I went to the kind of edge of Pioneer Square location that's across from the the ferry, uh, which is the first time I'd ever been there. A nice little spot. The other thing about Top Pot we should note, like all their donuts are enormous for the size. Like bang for your buck, Top Pot is definitely, I think, the winner of this search. Uh, that so that being said, like again, I don't think there's anything that should stop Top Pot from being in the top three of the search. I guess I I guess I am going with Good Day because I, I the fritter creativity and the quality of the 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 uh, vegan donut I think I think sold me. Okay. Uh, I, for me, after going to Top Pot today, it was. It was really no question. I had the best Bavarian cream donut that I've ever had in my entire life. The again, they're gigantic. From Top Pot or overall? I'm gonna say from Top Pot, but I don't remember a better one overall. Okay. The the true maple bars, not the QFC, right? Not the Fred Meyer maple bars. The true maple bars. They're beautiful. They're gigantic. They're cooked. They are cooked sometimes, maybe a little bit longer than I want them to be. If they were a tiny bit softer on the inside, maybe I would be more excited about that. But again, the artisanship, the consistency of Top Pot, anytime you go into a Top Pot, you know you're going to get one of the highest quality donuts in Seattle. Maybe they're not the best donuts in Seattle. We'll find that out. But to me, they are all of those factors. The quality plus the consistency means that for me, I think that Top Pot should be a contender in the championship at Pelton Cast Live. Zach, you're the tiebreaker. Oh, man, so much and pressure. Tell us about your experience at Top Pot as well. Sure. Well, I mean, besides just sort of like decades of experience with Top Pot, I went on um, Sunday, so the day after I went to Good Day, and I had a maple bar, which is not actually my usual order, but it feels so iconic for, or I don't know, it feels important about Top Pot. And since Full I had been course. particularly, ta- yes, <laughs> him and others, and had been particularly taken by the maple bar at Good Day, I felt important to try that. I had, which is, I had what is my favorite donut at the, uh, generally at Top Hot, which is a, um, a sea salt caramel old fashioned. Oh, um, yes. And that, yeah. that, I mean, again, sea salt plus caramel, kind of a cheat code, but I think you need the old fashioned donut underneath to hold up to it properly. And I think that to me is, is a really, is a thing that the Top Hot donuts, especially the old fashioned style donuts do really well is they're substantial enough texturally they're sweet but not overly sweet and i think when you're covering that with a undeniably sweet topping you need the dough to be not savory but less sweet and and offer a little contrast both texturally and flavor wise and so so just one last bit of sort of almost philosophical thought here so with something like top pot which as you guys have mentioned has you know a number of different outlets throughout the seattle area also something calling itself top pot donuts is available at various <laughs> kroger brand or you know kroger grocery stores etc there is a ubiquity to it that makes it for me makes it feel like there's a higher bar to clear to say that something that is that widely available is seattle's best anything or or should be advanced over a store that yes, may occasionally suffer from some inconsistency, but that inconsistency is, I would argue, generally part of the charm of a single location operation, that they don't have the luxury in a way of developing the economies of scale, the kind of 
processes that allow you to have identical donuts every single time. And for me personally, that, you know, visual variation in the donuts, possibly even a little bit of flavor variation, isn't a necessarily a, a reason to knock Good Day or any other establishment. But all that being said, I got home with the donuts and I opened the box and cut into a couple of them and I gave them to my wife and to my kids. And of course, my kids just devoured them because they would eat any donuts. And my wife was like, you should have just gone to Top Pot. <laughs> and I can't deny that that thought also a little bit crossed my mind. Now, again, part of that's because Top Pot is a lot closer and that ubiquity is a plus for it in a lot of cases. I think that, and again, I think I just come back to the sense of like, I think Good Day is, they're, they're, they're very good donuts. And I wish in some sense that I had gone on a Friday and had checked out some of the specialty fritter flavors. I may still go back and do that sometime. And I certainly think that if it's a closer drive for listeners than it is for me, it's certainly well worth going to. But I just, you know, that, that thought lingered and sort of, clouded my whole experience in some sense and then going to top by the next day and being like yeah okay these are really good donuts they're really well executed and while again they have the advantages in some ways of being able to be a you know a, a relatively sizable donut operation for especially in a single city that doesn't mean they're not really really good donuts i'm not sure that they will come all the way through this bracket i would be a little surprised but i don't feel at all bad about saying that that top hot is my pick here wow i mean you shouldn't even though i voted for good day like i still feel like we ended up in a good place with top pot and in the final i mean this is where we started the search we started with top pot and dojoy were the first two that we reviewed right out the gate and to them we add ninth and hennepin which i said they had been kind of my go-to donuts in the past year it's a sensible location once you make the logical leap that the flower box is seattle's best donut but not seattle's best donuts <laughs> okay. yes that very logical leap so i i do want to say first off this Friday night, Pelton Cast Live at Belltown Yacht Club. The three competitors have been set. We've done this a couple times in the past. Seattle's best sandwich, search, uh, the 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 uh, 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 sham search for Seattle's best sandwich, which included a non-sandwich in it, was set with three different competitors. And again, we are set with three different competitors. Wait, by the way, can I say on the sandwich search? What? So I went to Tats last week. For one of one of my birthday lunches, I went to Tats for my one of my birthday lunches, uh, a birthday lunch, and uh, uh, got Maono at the Benbow Room in West Seattle. Wow, you for went to birthday both of dinner. them. I you did. Just, you did. You did a research for Seattle's best sandwich. And last month had been to, uh, as we mentioned, the other coast and had the Raging Cajun. So I've had wow. all of them recently. It's it's closer than I thought at the time. God damn it! And one of them is actually a sandwich. <laughs> It's close. Mm. What did you get? The tat strami or the turkey oh, tat strami? Tat strami. I the turkey tat does not do it for me in the way. Dude, the turkey tat strami. Incredible. It's Seattle's best sandwich. Thank you. But this this <laughs> 2025 the research for Seattle's best sandwich. We still have to our decide what we're doing this summer. Our competitors are set. I th I kind of like the beer idea. Zach's our idea. Yeah. Our competitors are set. In one corner, we have. The old school favorite. We have Top Pot Donuts, right? Since 2001. We have in another corner. Vegan. Nut-free. 
brand new at Kraken Games. We have Dojoy. In the third corner, we have the French style. You order it in advance. It is very rich. This is the opposite of vegan. We have ninth and Hennepin. Three competitors are set. They will duke it out in the search for Seattle's best donuts. But I do want to say, we will find that out. Podcast live this Friday at Belltown Yacht Club. I what? wanted to give. I wanted to give some some. Uh, 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 what's the term here? Where where you give awards to things that didn't win something? Participation trophies. <laughs> it's it's. There's a better. Is this term like the it. part of the Oscars where they just Cons- come back and they consolation read, like, a bunch of them? Yeah. I I think Good Day Donuts. If if we're giving out awards, we gave Chuck Chuck's Donuts the best old school donut in Seattle. Flower Box is Seattle's best donut. I think Good Day Donuts should should get the title of Rising Star in Seattle Donuts. So I, I think I think they have earned that. We all really like Good Day Donuts. I'm excited to go back. Again, I wouldn't classify it as we did search for Seattle's best teriyaki. We were like, well, these are all really good neighborhood teriyaki places, but if you don't live in the neighborhood, you probably wouldn't go there. I think this is, if I'm near White Center, I would probably still travel there for it i think these are very very good donuts they're not quite there with the three competitors that we're going to be judging this friday at pelton cast live but i still think they are they are worthy of that title of rising star i think that's a fair a fair consolation prize to to give good day uh and of course we'll have alicia vermilion from seattle met magazine there to help us crown seattle's oh, best that. donut I really can't wait. Thanks again for joining us and helping us get there, Zach. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, there we go. It is set. The three, again, Ninth and Hennepin, Dojoy, and Top Pot are going to be battling out it out for Seattle's best donuts on Friday. All right. I feel like we were going to get here no matter what. We, we explored a lot of different donuts along the way, but to be at these three... Right, they sort of fit the exact same categories. I I think Nathan Hennepin. If Nathan Hennepin is the winner, there'll be some questions that are raised, because I think Top Pot and Dojoy really fit the bill of donuts that you can just go get. Right, right. It, and a, a variety, a of variety donuts. of donuts, and and I think that's really ultimately what we're looking for in the search. Again, I'm very open to Nathan Hennepin. I think they, the trip getting those. I mean, there are some of the best donuts I've ever had. It's, it's going to be it. fascinating. They have not yet revealed their menu for this week. Oh what, my God. what the donut options are. We if still it's don't all know. cake donuts, just... <laughs> they're like, it's cake donut week. <laughs> I really hope that that's the case. Uh, the joke the joke would be on us. It, the, no, me, the joke would be on me. you. Okay. I've, no one else, uh, when we had them at the uh, Talking Taco Time interview, no one else ate the cake donuts either. Uh. No hot takes today. I'm not going to say this week. Because I think we're, we may have some live hot takes where you got to be careful. Don't burn yourself on those ones. Uh, but we should talk about the Mariners who had a four-game winning streak after we last podcasted a week ago, starting with Wednesday's day game finale at Wrigley and then a sweep against Colorado, their first of the year, and then promptly lost the first two games at home of their series to Milwaukee as they continue this homestand all against NL foes. Uh, what do we want we to say We got an RBI single from the DH position earlier today. Wow. What a, yeah. what a time to commemorate. Yeah. 
I what I thought Hang was the banner. What I thought was <laughs> remarkable is that uh, today Colton Wong, who is now hitting under 100, or no, he's precisely 100. Uh, he hit behind. Yeah, behind. Jose I, I kept being like, like Julio's on deck, and I was like, oh god, he's not. Jose Caballero, who's making his first major league start, had never had a major league at bat prior to that. I'm into Jose Caballero. He didn't have a great hit in in extra innings, but there were a lot of balls that he hit very hard and toward the gaps. Had an exciting stolen base. uh, (laughs) The the, drama that was being built on the broadcast, like the Mariners are down. They need a hit to win. They're like, that's huge. And I'm like, but is it? Colton Wong did manage as the ghost runner on second base. Oh yeah, Colton Wong did some take third on a wild pitch, and then score from third on a uh, sacrifice sacrifice fly to the outfield. But alas, not enough. As the Mariners, who were so good in in extra innings a year ago, I was about to say overtime, uh, again losing in extras this year. I, the one run games also. The regression to the man. It's it's actually a gambler's fallacy thus far that they're going too far. The other direction. It's April eighteenth. It is. That that is that's really it. Like ultimately, hot takes only work positively right now. At April eighteenth, you can't predict, or you could predict doom if things were going really really bad. But like, I, yeah, I think you could definitely do it. I, I, I think that's not the direction we've chosen to there go. There were a couple of balls that were hit earlier. I think the Mariners are hitting the ball hard. I mean, Kalanick had one in extras, right? That he ripped that pitch, and I was like, that's getting down, and it just. Went at somebody, right? I mean, Jesus, or Jose Caballero had the same thing where he hit a couple of balls that he really ripped those pitches and they just went at somebody. And that's the type of thing where you just have to look at it and say, that was a good at bat. You had a hard hit ball, period. And it's baseball. Sometimes there's going to be people there. So I, I don't think you shouldn't have gotten too high about the sweep against Colorado and shouldn't be too down about the losses to Milwaukee in the same way that also, you know, like game one being Corbin Burns versus Chris Flexen, like... It, they just weren't going to win. I would say the biggest concern that's that's actually happened for the Mariners thus far is the fact that Texas is eleven and six with an AL West leading plus thirty four run differential. That's not ideal. The fact that I mean the Angels, it's a little less surprising that they're you know above them, but both 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 Houston and the Mariners in the standings, uh, despite the fact that the the Astros and Mariners both with below five hundred records at eight and ten with positive run differentials thus far. Oakland is also playing games. It's April 18th. That's it. Uh, shouts to Luis Castillo, who had a perfect game through six innings on Sunday as the Mariners won that game against Colorado to complete the sweep. It, I At some point, I feel like you're going to need to, on hot takes, start referring to this, is Luis Castillo's Cy Young season, much like Richard Sherman Defensive Player of the Year season, which, alas, did not translate into a Defensive Player of the Year. Should have. You know. It was quite a memorable season, nonetheless. Uh, I'm down for that. We'll see if Sonny Gray has anything to say about that. Okay. But, like, the problem is that I know too much about other baseball now. <laughs> I'd have never heard of Sonny Gray a year ago. Is this because of following baseball or because of Baby Fantasy Genius? No, actually following baseball. Wow. I'm still not following the other teams at all. I'm like, I'm vaguely aware of what's going on. I, I heard the Tampa Bay won many games in a row. <laughs> yeah, you're up on it. <laughs> uh, I'm still wholly surprised by large swaths of the Milwaukee Brewers lineup, I got to tell you. They're, well, they're Jesse Winker be. being part of the Brewers lineup today, I completely forgot about that until he was in the lineup today, and I was like, oh, shit, Jesse Winker. Yeah. Is he uh, still hitting well? 
I don't think so. Okay. But I, I think signs are good. They're going to get a little bit healthier. Like, the Mariners are in a good place considering where they're at. Some luck they've had. Julio has not hit that well this season also. No. Not yet. So, th- there are some players who are going to get better. Colton Wong's not going to hit 100 on the season. He is not. The other thing I, I want to say about the DH in particular, I mean, I think second base is more likely to just regress to the mean, is that to some degree, if you want to improve in season, the best possible thing is to have really horrible play from a specific position because it makes it, even if you get to like just average, you improve is dramatically, is a lot of teams improve going from average to elite, basically. Well, and the other good thing is to have it be, honestly, if I have to defend the Mariners, Wow. Which I don't want to. The best place to be really, really bad is DH because it doesn't matter who you find. You don't have to find a player in any position. Any person who can get hit over 100, a single hit, an RBI, is going to be better than they've gotten from the DH position. But it could be anybody, right? Yeah. Anybody on all of the other teams. And at some point, somebody on those other teams is... A team is going to be out of the playoff race. Like... The Mariners are not, they're going to find somebody to play DH as the season goes on. Also, do you think they've considered asking Stephen Vaught if he would unretire and play DH for them? He's on the coaching staff right now, right? He's the bullpen coach. Man. You see him every time they cut to the bullpen and somebody's warming up. He'd definitely be, what, how did he hit last year? <laughs> A lot better than the Mariners wow, DH. Wow, I kind of like this far. idea. I, that just came to me on, on the fly. It had not occurred to me previously, <laughs> the possibility. Right, like, what does it really take for Stephen Vogt to go out there and hit? I mean, like, you're already doing all the travel and everything. You may as well just play. I'm just going to be real with you. I don't know if Stephen Vogt was that much better than what they've gotten oh, for the no, DH. Was he? He, he wasn't? He has, of his last two... I guess he just played for a lot of teams the last couple of years. But he was definitely hovering under 200 with, like, a like 240... 280 on base percentage. I'm sorry again. Which part of this is a downgrade from what they're getting from DH I, I right don't, now? I don't think it's good enough to convince him to unretire. Okay. okay. Well, we'll keep that in the back pocket. But there were times during last season when you look at some of the games early and you're just like, who was on this team? Baseball teams are not figured out in April. They are not. Anything else in the Mariners? I, I feel... Look, we're saving the hot takes for Friday. I feel too muted about this. I got to say, it, it would have been better off if the hot takes, if the live thought had been like last Friday, because then the takes could have gotten scorching. Just, uh, we'll see. We'll the, see. The front three rows, you know, you have the splash zone. Uh-huh. They would have been the burn zone, I suppose, in this case. That's how hot they would have been if we had recorded this when Jared Kelnick was in the middle of a four-game home run streak, which uh. is, we didn't specifically mention, but again, we'll hear more on that on Friday. Should we go into more depth on the Kraken? Absolutely, we should. Who got the opening goal in the first four minutes of the game from Ily Tolvanen to take a one nothing lead. The Avalanche then tied it up in the first period, but Kraken never trailed after again scoring early in the second period through Alex Wenberg. And same thing, another goal earlier in the period in the third with Morgan Geeky scoring, and then survived a pretty terrifying stretch where uh, Colorado was, you know, rotating their their top line offensively through there, had pulled the goal goaltender, but also did have a couple minutes where they had a penalty that they had to kill off, and that forced them to take those top scorers off the ice to 
put the goaltender back on. That was really kind of took a lot of the pressure off of the Kraken, but there was still moments where you're like, if they just score one time, it is going to be so terrifying the rest of this game because that's what playoff hockey is. It was, it was not even not quite stressful enough for a playoff hockey game to really qualify. Uh, the Avalanche have won at least one playoff series each of the last four years, the NHL's longest active streak. They are, I guess I didn't mention this on the top, the defending champions, the reigning Stanley Cup champions, the Kraken are le- leading one nothing here. Uh, they were not as strong in the regular season this year after losing Andre Burakovsky to the Kraken in free agency and Captain Gabriel Landeskog to season-ending knee surgery. Their 107 points were down from 119 a year ago, and their points percentage was actually better than this during the shortened 2020-21 season. was actually better than that, I guess. Uh, they dropped to 10th in goals per game after finishing 4th in 2021-22, but the defense remained stout, and they claimed the Central Division title with that aforementioned win over Nashville on the final day of the regular season. Uh, still boast a pair of 100-point scores in center Nathan McKinnon and winger Miko, Miko Rantanen, who scored their only goal on Tuesday. Edmonton had 300-point scores. That was the other option for the Kraken, had Colorado lost in the last day of the regular season. I guess that was if the Kraken had finished third in the Pacific, they would have faced Edmonton. So that was that was good to avoid that. No other team in the NHL besides those two had more than one. So this is definitely a very potent top line for the for the uh, Avalanche. Alas, the Kraken won't have Burakovsky for this series either. Uh, he underwent surgery last week for a lower body injury that has sidelined him since the game after the All-Star break. Burakovsky was the Kraken's leading scorer when he was injured with 26 points and uh, 26 assists rather and 13 goals. So certainly a big loss for them in this series, but one they managed to overcome in game one. Okay, so you watched most of this game, right? Game one against the Avalanche. I was streaming it opposite the uh, NBA playoffs, yeah. Uh, As you were watching, did it feel like these were a couple of evenly matched teams. This wasn't a situation where it was like the Avalanche are just peppering shots and the Kraken are hanging on and got like a couple of random lucky goals. Well, I will say Curtis Crabtree of uh, KJR, I believe, had this stat that it was the highest save percentage for Philip Grubauer, who was formerly the goaltender in Colorado before signing with the Kraken. The Kraken have really directly gone after Colorado in free agency two years in a row. Uh, It was his highest save percentage of the year, but a lot of those saves were in the third period when Colorado was already down. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the first period in particular into the second, the Kraken, I think, had the edge in terms of possession. They had the greater number of shots. So I don't think it was like fluky that they took the lead at all. For them to manage to hold Colorado scoreless in the third period was pretty remarkable, but... At, at the very least, I would say they looked evenly matched, yeah. Okay, and then also understanding, if this was an NBA series, lower-seeded team wins game one, right? We saw this with Clippers' Suns earlier, right? We saw this with uh, Cavaliers' Knicks earlier as well. I, I, pretty much any series where an under-seeded, the lower-seeded team wins game one in the NBA, the higher-seeded team is coming back and winning the second game. In hockey, it's a little bit different, though, right? No, the, yeah, I don't think that effect. It's known in basketball as the zigzag theory, because it used to be very profitable for you to just bet on whichever team lost the previous game in the series. Then everyone realized it, and so it no longer is profitable. Uh-huh. But there is a very strong effect that, like, controlling for team ability, whoever lost the previous game yes. does better the next game. I don't know if that exists in hockey. But also, hockey, hockey, the hockey NHL playoffs, 
are a little bit different than the NBA playoffs, where lower-seeded teams win fairly often. Yes. So I think we can go into this. Getting a victory, again, in the way that I, if this was the NBA, I would probably be like, they got a victory. We know they're going to lose the next one. It's probably going to go six or seven games. And I'm sure that's still the case in this situation. But any victory that you get along the way is important at this point. And I think that's kind of the most important thing is that it's not necessarily like there's going to be a bounce back. It is you just have to win every single game because that is possible. Yeah, just just go and keep winning games, I think, is the uh, the way to do it. And I think it's a little bit less of an expectation that we'll go into, when is game two, Thursday? Game two is Thursday, yes, every in, other day. Into game two on Thursday and say to ourselves, the Kraken probably aren't winning that one. Because it's just, it's a different sport, right? They're not scoring hundreds of points. It really comes down to these micro moments. And there's a few more than there are in soccer, but like the, whether the shots go in or not is a huge deal in hockey. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of randomness. The the hot goaltender like the Kraken got today from Grubauer tends to be the dominant factor a lot a lot of time in a playoff series. I'm trying to see if they have the series line, but I guess it does not seem like it's updated yet uh, on this one on Caesar's Sportsbook that I was looking for. So very curious to see. Okay, I mean this is a huge victory. Yeah, I mean look, they've never won a playoff game before. Also, we've never lost a playoff game. Still perfect all time. So we will continue to follow this series, and uh, I'm sure we'll hear a little about the Kraken on Friday. Moving into the roundup. (laughs) Oh, boy, the Sounders. After a scoreless first half in Portland where they had the better of the chances, Rel Reed, yes, scored. The Kraken don't count as part of the roundup. Sounders not, on is only not, not today. When they're in the playoffs, they're not part of the roundup. Correct. So it's not oops all roundup. You, ta- you-, you talked during the segment, so it doesn't count as roundup. <laughs> Do you love the roundup or hate the roundup, period? A little of both. Okay. A little of both. Uh, anyways, Rel Reed has scored in the 58th minute to give the Sounders the lead. Was feeling pretty good about things. Like, okay, probably going to at least get a point on the road in Portland. That's great. And then Dyron Espria equalized in the 71st minute with a spectacular bicycle kick in the box. And the floodgates opened from there. A dismal defensive effort allowed Nathan Fogaza to make a run through the entire defense for his first goal since scoring twice in his Portland debut last May, followed by a third Portland goal in the 81st minute when Stefan Fry was unable to hold a point-blank shot and Portland scored on the rebound. And then a fourth from Juan Mascara on the break in the 89th minute to fully complete the destruction of the Seattle defense. The Timbers, who scored four goals in this match, scored four goals in a 20-minute span, had scored just three goals in their previous five matches, which is, of course, 450 minutes plus stoppage time. You were on the phone with me (laughs) as I was watching this go down. It's just like slowly being more and more amazed by how long <laughs> things were going. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it felt like when Rui Diaz scored that goal, it was over. I'm not at, over. At that point. It, maybe not over, but it was like the Sounders were overwhelming favorites from that moment forward. Yeah, I mean, anytime you score the first goal in the match, especially in the that late into it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was actually fairly even by Soccer Power Index expected goals with the improbable long-distance Timbers goals. They had 1.9 XG based on shots to 1.4 for the Sounders. And the Sounders had the better of the non-shot XG. So 
I feel like this is especially along the lines of your Mariners take. This is a let's all remain calm here. This is not that big of a deal long term, even though it is it was so fucking annoying to wake up on Sunday morning and see John Hollinger tweeting about the, the Timbers win and saying, I hope this is the first thing you see in the morning. On Monday morning. No, this game happened Saturday night. Is that true? It, it is true, yeah. Uh, and it was, in fact, the first thing I saw. And it did, in fact, make me angry. <laughs> so, he tweeted it at you? Yes. Uh, Sounders were shorthanded in this one with Christian ruled on in concussion protocol and fellow midfielders Albert Rushnak and Josh Atencio also unavailable due to a heel injury for Rushnak and an, an adductor injury for Atencio that shifted Jordan Morris back to the midfield. He actually played the right wing, which I don't know if he's played that at all for the Sounders uh, with Leo Chu starting on the left wing and Real Rodriguez back up top and gave Obed Vargas his first start of the season as a defensive midfielder. Uh, Sounders expect to have Rushnak back this weekend, but Roldan's status is still uncertain. Intensio considered doubtful. Uh, they will be back home on Saturday to host Minnesota United, which comes in sixth in the Western Conference, meaning this would, in fact, be a play- first-round playoff matchup as the season if the season ended today with the Sounders dropping to third behind St. Louis and LAFC. Of course, we know the MLS regular season does not end today. It does not end anytime soon. It's going to be a long time before that happens. I, the only way that this really matters is if the Sounders are competing for the Champions Trophy, like, you know, losing this one is a little brutal, setting them back there. But otherwise, it's April. And I think you just have to rely on that the roster is still very good, has been playing very, very well this season. Yep. They're going to leapfrog St. Louis. St. Louis is not going to be good all season. And it really is the Sounders and LAFC in the Western Conference. And LAFC is probably still a notch ahead of everyone else. Like points per match, they're uh, they're they're comfortably ahead. And this is more... like the neutral Pelton cast. <laughs> really Everything is, is fine. <laughs> well, we've got some happier news, which is that the OL Reign defeated the hated San Diego Wave one nothing Saturday in their home <sighs> opener. That those Wave fans went home so disappointed as their team. Got this was up. in San Diego? No, this was in Seattle. Oh, okay. The, oh, yeah. All, all the of the Wave fans who were there traveled to Seattle. Furious. <laughs> furious. The rain turned one. Can you imagine traveling from San Diego to Seattle on this week in April? In April, yeah. yeah. No, it seems miserable. No, the, nobody would do that. The team had to. I feel bad for them. <laughs> I don't want to be in Seattle this weekend. Were you here? I, mean, I would have lost a lot worse than 1-0 to the all right. It was a great weekend to sit inside and watch eight NBA games. This is that's why it's so so like neutral. This Pelton cast because I'm weather? just depressed from the weather. <laughs> oh, but remember Pelton cast live. Pelton cast Friday. live April 21st. Peloton Yacht Club. It's like Jared Kellnick either will or will not get a hit. What does it matter? End of transmission. What a great time to reflect upon. <laughs> Uh, but in this match, the rain turned one point into three at the last possible second, getting the game's only goal from Olivia Von der Yacht in the fifth minute of second half stoppage time off a block shot that rebounded to her just outside the top of the 18. That goal came on the rain's eight, 16th shot of this match, five of them on goal to 10 shots for the wave as they held yeah. Alex Morgan scoreless for the first time this season. Megan Rapino made her season debut off the bench playing the final 17 minutes plus stoppage time, so that was great to see after she's been dealing with injury. 
uh, rain a pair of matches this week. They'll begin the reformatted NWSL Challenge Cup on Wednesday against Angel City FC, the first of six matches against the three teams in their group, Portland and San Diego being the two others on the West Coast here. It'll be interested to see what happens with that when the uh, Bay Area expansion team comes online, how they're going to split things up. Uh, they will then host the Red Stars of Chicago coming off their first win, a 4-2 final last Saturday versus Kansas City. The Red Stars got two goals from rookie Penelope Hawking, the daughter of longtime Twins infielder Denny Hawking. Oh, yeah, I was wondering. <laughs> we were Hawking. I think we talked about it at the end, at that at the NWSL draft, perhaps. Uh, the, <laughs> we? we might have. The seven goals scored. That this. sounds like a Peltoncast thing to talk about, but... Yeah. Uh, we, anytime we can work because Denny Hawking was part of the season of the the, the MLB season, season of the record. season of record and the Mariners season of record to was he those are different he was a rookie in 93 yes but he wasn't like prominently featured I remember there being like a tops card of him you could see the Metrodome in the back <laughs> sounds plausible that's the best it's not like he was in Little Big League though or something you well, none of the like... actual twins were in Little Big League only Mariners were in Little that's Big true. League but <laughs> Just kind of weird when you think about it. Wait, who is the dude, the utility player? <laughs> That's funny because I happened to see this earlier because it was the trivia question at last year's Pelton Cast Live. Who was, was which it? Mariners were in Little Big League, and the answer is Dave Magadan. Dave Magadan. Yeah, and, shouts to Dave Magadan. That will not be this year's trivia Denny, question. Denny Hawking was not there. Uh, but I mean, he was there. They filmed it before a Mariners Twins game. He was in the <laughs> Metro. They wouldn't let him on screen. <laughs> he just wanted to be part of SAG, okay? <laughs> He would have distracted from Jonathan Silverman. Uh, well, there's actually much bigger oil rain news that we buried at the end here, which is that Lakeep reported last week that Michelle Kang, the owner of the NWSL's Washington Spirit, will purchase a majority stake in the OL women's operation, including the namesake French team. Well, group then denied this report, but did confirm in a release that they are looking to sell the rain, resolving a potential conflict that would occur if Kang bought the team with her already owning a majority share in another NWSL team. So we're going to have a Can new Can you break owner. this down for me? Michelle Kang. Currently owns Washington Spirit. An American. Uh, American, yes. It's funny that like all the like U.S. stories about this referred to her as an American businesswoman uh, because that's how she was referred to in the L'Equipe French article. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, most of the owners are American. That's not really that notable here. It's like a dirty American businesswoman. <laughs> every, every one of them, just like kind of like subtly insulting to the to, believes in a sixty-hour work week or whatever. Wants retirement at seventy-five years old. An American workwoman, <laughs> business businesswoman. Okay, so Michelle Kang owns the Washington Spirit. Correct. Bought a majority stake. Is uh, reportedly going to buy. In OL, so that's that's OL Lyonnais in France. Primarily, Lyonnais, yes, is the primary team, and then they also. But they just kind of happen to own the rain. Yes, I mean they she's don't just... buying them for Lyonnais, though. But she's also buying them to change their NWSL affiliation from the rain to the Washington Spirit. Like they would then enjoy that benefit of having players on loans in the NWSL from the French club. So is the plan to make the the Washington Spirit the OL Spirit? It's a little messy, NWSL. That's all I'm going to say. That's a little messy. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with ownership. Uh, 
NWSL franchises have never been more valuable. I believe I'm quoting this off the top of my head, but I believe that Kang paid 35 million to purchase the Spirit, and then subsequently the expansion fees for the new franchise in uh, at least the Bay Area. I forget where the other one is. Uh, 50 what is, million. What is a sport that has a team in San Diego over the Bay Area? And you know what? I'm actually agreeing with it this time. <laughs> you know, Katie went to Burma Superstar. I did not know when that. she was down there. I heard a shocking thing from Nate Duncan when I was uh, hanging out with him in Portland at the Hoop Summit. Wow, why was this not the first thing we talked about? Uh, why did it take Michelle Kang to get us here? Well, so we went to uh, we went to get hot pot. Uh huh. It was quite quite outstanding. Okay. Uh, anyways, you mentioned <laughs> great, <laughs> and that that. He goes to a different Burmese place instead of Burma Superstar now in the Bay Area. Wow. So apparently, it's, there's a, a challenger to the throne. Burma Superstar is out. But I, I have not been to either of them since two, 2019 was the last time I went to Burma Superstar. I haven't been to the Bay since. Katie's review was that Burma Superstar was good, but that the clientele was very San Francisco. I, I don't even know where to begin to go with that statement. So... You don't know where to begin with that statement because I know exactly where to go with that statement. I just, I understood it completely. Katie's description or whatever. And I was like, hmm, okay. Look, maybe it was a place that like, that was underground at the time or whatever. But when San Francisco types get involved. I see what you're saying. Yes. Then it's just like out. I don't like Wow, going... San Francisco types mean something so different in 2023 than it used <laughs> yeah, to. I, I know, that's... <laughs> Uh, Let me be very clear on the type of people I'm referring to. <laughs> it is definitely wealthy Silicon Valley people that I am talking about. Yes. Okay. I have not been to the San Francisco location in many years. I typically go to the one in Oakland. That's where Katie went to. Even that's been... Oh, yeah. Oakland's by... gentrified? I can't believe it. I'm aware... What's of... next? <laughs> where that Oakland is gentrified. <laughs> My God! You just discovered because of Burma's superstar that Oakland's been gentrified. <laughs> uh, there was no, no I never previously. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like they still they still move the warriors out of there, but it's definitely gentrified. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that gentrified for the warriors <laughs> to still play there. Oh my god. You think you go to the Oakland location, you're like, oh yeah, I go to the Oakland location. I'm with it. You're those people. <laughs> I think you were at the table over from Katie. You might have been who she was referring oh, to. No. <sighs> she didn't go to La Taqueria, though. And I was like, yeah, it's like a 45-minute wait for a burrito. I mean, it depends when you go. You think there's a time that there's a short wait for a burrito? You know that the third Pelton brother, Nate Taggart, posted this weekend he was at La Taqueria. That's Talk. why I brought it up. Yeah. I guarantee you that he waited 30 well, plus well, minutes. on a weekend, yeah, I'm sure he did. I'm just like... For a burrito, that's worth it, yeah. I don't know. It's funny because I actually think Flower Box, I will say, I haven't been back to Flower Box. This is a good question of how long different foods are worth the wait. And I do think that burritos, the replacement level for a burrito is so high that, like, I, I don't know if any burrito could be worth waiting 45 minutes for. Apparently, there. I, don't, I think this might have been El Farolito. This was something else that Nate Duncan mentioned, that there, yes. there's multiple locations, which I didn't realize. I hate that. I hate everything about it. <laughs> they still apparently are good. You, I'm you, sure that they're good. Everything is good. They're they're good, but they're not great anymore. Nothing matters. So UW Sports. Husky baseball 
split with with the rundown <laughs> on the line. Split two games last weekend versus number twenty two Arizona State, winning eight to three on Friday. There we go. Eight runs in the first four innings before losing eight six on Saturday. Sunday's series finale was rained out. They're still on the rundown. Like technicality at five hundred conference play, it's still on the rundown. Uh, I'm going to give them a pass this weekend. Well, they they didn't. You said if they lost the series, they were off the rundown, and they did not lose the series. But I mean, they could. They're going to lose likely this week's series because they're going to face number nine Stanford in Palo Alto. How about how about if we set it out if they get swept? Uh, how many is it? Three games. Harsh. Yeah. Look, I don't want to go to Palo Alto either. <laughs> so I'd get swept there too. <laughs> this baby, we're learning why you don't play professional sports. You don't have the grid to play places where the weather isn't good. <laughs> the weather. It's is. mostly just Northern California, apparently. In the past, I feel like they're I've insulted the by, Midwest. They're invaded by San Francisco types. You're you're just doomed. <laughs> the two places that it's actually like I I've said a lot of things about places in the Midwest that I know nothing about. All of Canada, <laughs> um, not all of Canada. Sorry, just the southernmost parts of Canada. <laughs> um, which is weirdly most of it. Uh, <clears throat> Parts of Canada that are south of us. It's actually personal with both the 509. You, under- you know who I'm talking about. You're Richie from Dan Dickout types. And then also Northern California. <laughs> Except for our friends at Russian River Brewing. Uh, Husky softball. I heard they had plenty of the younger. and it, like Katie went in there and asked for it. And just like, do you have this? And they scoffed. They scoffed at her. Yeah, because there's there's a lot of people in the Bay Area who are interested in fancy I'm, beers. I'm sure there are. Uh, well, can I can I mention that I went to a high school baseball game? Oh yeah, uh, the Kentridge Chargers versus the Tahoma Bears, featuring uh, a UW baseball recruit, Carson Olin, number one prospect in the state of Washington, playing catcher for the team, and. It was pretty fun. There was like a major league scout. I didn't hear what team he, he was the scout for, but there was a major league scout who was at the game, which is pretty wild. People were just like whispering about the scout being there. Yeah, no, it, it really felt like that. There was like one of the other people was like, like, Luca, you should go talk to that guy. Say he'll be seeing you in a few years or whatever about some scout for a major league team. And I guess he just like showed up scout like, like watched a couple innings and then got out of there. And I'm like, what else do you have to do in fucking Maple Valley, Washington? going to another game. I guess so. I don't. I don't know how many scoutable players there are in the Greater Maple Valley area. I, I, I'm just going to be honest with that. you. It's okay. like there is there's the donuts that we got, and then there's this baseball game. That's it. <laughs> there's the Alaska dumplings. Wait, which I'm, this, I'm intrigued. This game by. wasn't played at Kent Ridge. It was played. It was, no, it's in Tahoma. Oh, okay. But it was interesting. I I'd never seen Carson Olin play before. Right, so he's. It'd be strange if you had seen a high school baseball I, player. I had never play. seen him personally, like his size or whatever. And it, it's interesting to see what type of catcher he is coming to UW. And my thought was that he's going to need to probably redshirt, but maybe I'm wrong about what catchers look like now. He was definitely in the like athletic catcher generation, mm-hmm. the, like super high speed, controlling everything on the field. It was something where it was like you could tell that this dude is in charge of the entire team. It was a very, very good baseball team also, the Tahoma baseball team. I think they, they ended up – Kenridge got run-rolled in the game or whatever. Um, but like the defensively, I think that was the place that I noticed him the most. Everybody was hitting in the game for Tahoma. But seeing a catcher who can just control everything on defense and be everywhere is like – 
it is a different level of ability. And I could see why he was the number one ranked player in the state this year. So you're saying you're a good enough scout to identify that the number one player in the state is good. No, but honestly, like if you were just watching it and you didn't like, I, there were a lot of players who, who were good in the game. They had a player who closed the game for Tahoma, who I found it was a freshman. And it was like some of his pitches, he like throws 80 plus and has breaking pitches, like a slider or whatever. He was a little bit off. Some of them were in the dirt. But I was like, this kid is fucking incredible. I was like, this kid is going to be playing like major college baseball if this is how uh, avoiding arm injuries or whatever. Right. But like the speed and the like break that he had on his pitches, I was like, this is. It, it, I like immediately was like, I have to remember this kid's name. And as he's going, again, he's like 14 years old. That kid was awesome. Like three years older than your child, basically. That's kind of wild. Um, yep. But but it was it was actually really fun to go to a high school baseball game. And the atmosphere is like, like they have the walk-up songs for everybody. They have like the JV kids introducing them. You know, there was a good atmosphere. It was spring break also. But there was a pretty fun atmosphere at the game. And it was my first ever high school baseball game, I think, in my entire life. I, yeah, I've never been to one. Tai so. High School was not... <laughs> I was not. There actually were some pretty good players yeah, eventually. Jordan something, right? Yeah, I don't. Well, Bobby Bernal was a pretty good baseball player too. I think. There was a catcher who got drafted from Taiyi, wasn't there? <sighs> I think he might have gone the high line. Oh. I don't know. Uh, well, let's get to UW softball. The Huskies took two of three in Corvallis last weekend, including Friday's combined no hitter. But the one loss left a mark. The Huskies were run-ruled 11-1 to in five innings by the Beavers, who earned just their third Pac-12 win and scored eight runs off three pitchers in the eighth inning. Somehow, despite this, the Huskies moved up a spot in the rankings to number what nine. in the hell? I don't know what's going on with the softball rankings here. Uh, Huskies back home this weekend to host number 18 Utah in a critical series at 11-4. and the Utes have moved ahead of the 12-6 and six Huskies for second place in the Pac-12. Nobody else in the conference is better than 8-7, and seven, so uh, certainly the whichever team wins the so, series. So many fewer games. Uh, it's three fewer because they, like, they haven't had the... The Huskies haven't had their bye week yet, basically, as we've talked about in the past, the odd number of teams in the Pac-12 in softball. All right, some UW football news. The spring preview coming up this Saturday at 1 p.m. is the culmination of spring practice. Uh, and that will be happening without Savelle Smalls, who submitted his notification of transfer earlier this week. The former five-star recruit saw action in all 29 games since arriving in 2020 as part of the edge rotation, but never recorded a sack and had just one tackle for a loss in his UW career. He was projected behind returning Zion <laughs> Tupula Fatui and Braylon Trice in the edge rotation this year, albeit with little experience behind them, save for newcomer Zach Durfee, who previously played at D2's safe Sioux Falls. Uh, Savel Smalls will have two years of eligibility at his next stop. I'm just sad. It's a bummer, I, yeah. I, I'm not sad about it from an on-the-field perspective. I'm sad about it from a... We were just cheering for Savel. Yeah. Like, it. that's it. He went to Kennedy, right? Yeah, alongside Sam Bjorn. Played played with Sam Heward, who has not transferred. Has transferred. Has transferred. Yeah. To where? Uh, UC Davis, I think. Did he? I, wow. That class from Kennedy, right? The the like two signature players from that class were both from Kennedy, and both of them are gone. 
Well, they've. I mean, the Huskies have had four Kennedy players on the roster last season. Three of them have already transferred. All time, right? Like, how many Kennedy players? Paul Arnold, Arnold too, didn't even really pan out. I feel like. Well, he had injuries. Uh, Cal Poly is where Sam Pierre ended up. Cal Poly. So, that kind of sucks. Uh, just was just again just cheering for Savelle Smalls. Yep. Like I saw this news and I was like, yeah, probably should. I feel like he kind of fell out of favor with his coaching staff. And it was the kind of thing where you always wanted him to to be better when he was playing, even as a freshman. And and he just never really made a difference. You never really noticed him on the field. I mean, I think it is, you know, if we're taking like a lesson from this, it's another reminder. That... Fuck Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> Players from Hazen have shown up. Players from other schools around Seattle, around the greater South Seattle area have shown up. But uh, Kennedy, it's a big goose egg so far, so... Recruiting rankings are very important in the aggregate in terms of classes. <laughs> Recruiting rankings for individuals are just not that predictive of their success at the college level. So, uh, this could lead to the Huskies moving junior Voy Tunuufi to the edge. Coaches have spoken about using him there in addition to the defensive line after he ranked third on the team with five sacks last season. So Joe Tryon went to Hazen, right? He did, yes. There we go. Yes. All right, let's wrap up with the Seahawks. We're going to save the draft stuff for Friday when we have some real experts here to talk about the NFL draft. And also, I'm excited. I've been doing some NFL draft research on my own. I'm, a, I'm ready to unveil. I'm not, I guess I'm not fully ready. I've still got some more work to do, but planning to unveil on Friday as part of our wow. draft preview. Okay. I've been doing some research into projecting quarterbacks and things of that nature. If you talk bad about Anthony Richardson, I'm ready to lead the booze. I, I'm actually kind of curious what the crowd's quarterback position is going to be on on the quarterback position in general and then individual players also yeah it will be very interesting to see i think me and danny are on the same page so well i think you and danny and mike sean are on the same page here really yeah mike sean's on team richardson yeah (laughs) you you need to in addition to the rear nfl draft podcast also listen to uh, Mike Sean was on, or I'm sorry, Danny was on Seahawks Man to Man, Seahawks Man, to Man last week with okay. Mike Sean and Chris Kidd. So I'm basically viewing this as any question that I had when I was listening to that podcast. Now I get to ask it to both <laughs> yeah. of them in person. To both of them. Yeah. And I'll be there too. <laughs> <laughs> you probably had some questions to ask of Danny when you were listening to the Athletic NFL podcast. All hype. So. Uh, but the Seahawks news of note this week is... Uh, came from Peter King in his piece on Monday, writing about the news that Jeff Bezos did not make an offer for the Washington Commanders, who are set to be purchased by a group led by Josh Harris and Magic Johnson, it appears. Uh, Peter King wrote that the Seahawks are likely to be the next team on the market after the May 2020 point, after which 10% of the sale price would not go back to the state as part of the deal to build Lumen Field, something that we talked about, I think, last year. Yes, you would never want to pay taxes, of course. Came up. Uh huh. You know. You know, if money goes back to the state, that'd be terrible. Let's just have it be exchanged between billionaires. Uh, King had this to say, the NFL is lobbying Bezos quietly but hard to buy a franchise. The advantages of buying the Seahawks are many. Seattle has a consistent winner with a great GM slash coach team in John Schneider, Pete Carroll. Seattle has an incredible fan base. Seattle has a state-of-the-art, loud home venue in Lumen Field. And Seattle is one of the best training facilities in pro sports. All four In Rent, Washington! Wow! (laughs) There you are. Damn, we can't get a Cafe Vita, but one of the best training facilities in pro sports? 
I I I can't remember where the Seahawks finished in the survey. I think the 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 facility was well reviewed in the NFLPA I, survey. That is like a little too far from Peter King. One of the best in pro sports. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's on the water. It's very nice. Sadly, it has to be in Seattle, Washington. But well, I guess Rent, Washington. But it has to. It's the same climate. Yeah. It's not a different climate yeah. between Rent. It has to be heinous in April and smoky in August. Uh, but I I feel like you went a little bit too far on that one. But at the same time, Dix, are you listening? <laughs> uh, why would Bezos not want Seattle or uh, all four of those are far far better than what Washington has why would Bezos not want Seattle if he's serious about buying into the league that prints money so I yeah it all lines up there I mean I, I think the way that you have to approach this is all billionaires are bad like, there, there's no such thing as, like, have, having a great professional sports owner, right? A person who you could be like, wow, I really stand for that person, right? But just by engaging in the sport in general, you've accepted that you're probably going to be supporting somebody who's probably a bad person very deep down. And the reality is, if that's the case, you might as well have the richest one. Right? And like, a local one. And a local one, sure. But as far as the resources go on the field, like if Jeff Bezos were the owner, the Seahawks would have pretty much every opportunity. They would have the highest paid coaches, or at least the ability to have the highest paid coaches, right? The best resources of any team. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say the resources have been an issue, obviously. Paul Allen was, Lily Paul Allen was also one of the wealthiest individuals exactly. in the world. So it's kind of like, it, it just makes a lot of sense. Like I saw that. And it was like, yeah, I think so. I, I think Jeff Bezos, people have been circling Jeff Bezos for quite a long time as far as owning something professional sports-wise. And it does feel like now is the window for that to happen. I mean, again, Bill Gates never owned a professional sports team. It's not impossible that it won't happen at all. And the Seahawks could be sold and it could be somebody completely different. But I don't know if the NFL was lobbying Bill Gates quietly, but... Uh, what, what it was, was a different crazy? era. The like Bill Gates, Bill Gates obviously still has money, but like quietly but hard, they are lobbying Jeff Bezos. It just again, it makes a lot of sense. The money is not hard to find if you're Jeff Bezos to own the team, and if the Seahawks, I th I think it's fair that they would be the next team that was for sale. Seems reasonable. Th this is the most tempered perspective about the Seahawks. <laughs> That's the neutral podcast. Yeah, and in the, in the tempered Paulton cast. But this is the most tempered perspective that doesn't involve any sort of like latent like sexism. It's not like a woman can't own a team, so Jeff Bezos should. This is understanding that the team is likely to be for sale in a couple of years, and Jeff Bezos is the obvious owner for the team. So... I, I think that this, again, it's it's the most obvious answer as far as who the next owner is. And I think that that would be totally fine. Yeah. Because, again, we've already cognitively done the dance of engaging with the pro sports team, right? And the money that is going to the athletes and the enjoyment that we get from the sport is greater than the knowledge of where the profits are going. And that's what we have to do as professional sports fans. So... Fuck it. All right. Well, with that, we look forward to seeing those of you who are going to be able to make it out on Friday. 
And on that note. Thanks for listening. End of transmission. <laughs>